thanks for listening to The Church at 112, where we gather together to encourage and equip each other into a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, here's today's message. When asking questions is annoying. Like if you've ever been with me out to eat at a restaurant, then you know exactly what it's like. Like I sit there, the waiter, the waitress comes in. Usually it's an unsuspecting waitress. She comes in and she, I, I know in her mind, she's like, oh Lord. And so we, she, she may take your order. I have some questions. And I ask a million questions. I have a lot of them. Um, usually it's because of my specialized diet because I'm, I'm, I'm special. And so I ask all these little questions and I was with a friend the other day and he was just, he was just like, can you hurry it up, James? We, I have a friend, he's, he's type A, and he, he, he gets to the point all the time, and he's, can we get, can we, all right, now that he's done asking questions, I want a steak. I'm like, well, that was easy. I wish I was that easy. But we went to a place called Floyd's. Have y'all ever heard of Floyd's? So if you've ever driven on I-10, we were driving back to, back to Houston, we were driving to Houston and back. There's this place, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. I think the Lord made it, called Floyd's. And it's like if, if Texas food and Louisiana food had a baby, like a baby restaurant. And so it's literally a Texas steakhouse and a Cajun, a Cajun seafood restaurant. And that's why I had just a bunch of questions because I'm like, it all sounds great. I love steak. I love, I love seafood. I don't like too spicy. Is that too spicy, ma'am? Like, tell me about your gumbo. Tell me. Stop, James. And I just ask a bunch of questions. I love it. Man, I cannot wait to get to eat there again. I'm thinking about their gumbo right now. It has nothing to do with you. I had a lot of questions. But there are times in life when asking questions can be a good thing. There are times when we ask questions and it can be good for the soul because questions provide clarity. Like when we ask questions, not at a restaurant, okay? Not at a restaurant. Don't ask as many as I do. I'm atypical. But there are times in life when you ask questions and it provides clarity. It helps us to understand a little bit more. Jesus, there's a book about this. Jesus asked 307 questions. He himself, asked 307 questions of people. He was asked, consequently, 183 questions. People asked him, recorded in scripture, 183 questions. Guess how many he answered? He directly answered three. He only answered like eight. Usually someone would say, hey Jesus, what is the, and he's like, well, how do you read this? Like he would just retort back with another question. I love that about Jesus. Martin uh, Copenhaver, he is an author of a book, literally, that talks about Jesus' 307 questions. And he writes it this way. I love it. He says, quote, easy answers can give us a sense of finality. By entertaining questions, God has a chance to change us. Like when we start to ask questions, it's like we realize we don't know it all. We're not in control. And so when we're asking questions of God, we're saying, God, I don't know, but I trust you. Can you help me? And God changes us and allows our hearts to be open. I know too many opinionated people, myself being one of them. I know too many opinionated people that think that they know it all. They have it all together. They know all the right answers. They're the ones that'll post on social media, like a really, really terse statement about whatever. It could be pro wrestling. And... And they think that they know it all. Instead, God's like, no, 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 I want to change you from the inside and away from wrestling. No, I want to change you from the inside. I want to change you into being a better person. There's an African proverb that says it this way. The one who asks questions doesn't lose his way. Like when we ask questions, 
And we're asking for clarity so that God can change us, so that we can be more in tune with wherever he's got us going. And so I wrote it down this way. When our hearts are following God, and that's, that's really the key there. When our hearts are following God, our questions deepen our faith in his plan. Our questions deepen our faith in his plan. When, when we're following God. Now, if you're not following after God, if you're listening to this, if you're here in the room, if you're not following after God, then your questions don't necessarily reveal that you, you trust his plan because you don't, you don't trust him. But for those of us that have said yes to Jesus and we trust God and we're like, God, I trust in your plan, it deepens our faith in it. Now, nerd alert, just for a moment, I did a lot of, I love nerdy stuff. And that's why I ask a lot of questions, probably. I want you to think about, there's a guy in the Bible named Job. Theoretically, the, one of the oldest books in the Bible. Okay? It's, it's said that he, he, when that was written versus when, when the first five books were written, it's saying that maybe Job was even written kind of earlier than those. Not that it took place before those, but that it was written earlier than those. And there's a lot of good data there, but that's a nerd thing, but don't worry about it. Anyway, so with Job, I want to tell you this. There are 18,000 words in the book of Job. Why does that matter? There's 1,070 words in the book of Job. In the KJV, like it was hard for me to find like any of the other translations, but don't worry about it. So there's, there's a, over 1,070, there's 1,070 verses in the book of Job. There are 42 chapters. That one you can easily find in, your, in, the, you know, in front of your Bible or whatnot. Of those 42 chapters, of those 1,070 Bible verses, of those 18,000 words, Job poses, or in the book of Job, there's recorded a, a little over 200 questions. In the book of Job, there's a lot of questions. Like if you take any other book of the Bible, I even took the book of Psalms, by the way, and there's way more. There's like 42,000 words in the book of Psalms. And, and there's, there's, there's percentage-wise, there's less questions in the book of Psalms than there are in the book of Job. Book, book, book of Job has a bunch. But I love it. He says it this way. Job, let me flip there for you. Job chapter 23, verses 3 and 4. Job is talking, he says, if, I, if only I knew how to find him. Talking about the Lord, talking about God, right? If only I knew how to find him so that I could go to his throne. I would plead my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. If only I knew how to find him, I would plead my case. It's, it's like he's coming up. He, he knows that he's got questions. It's like a, a courtroom. It's like a, a lawyer going to have an audience with, in, in one of our previous messages, we talked about having an audience with, like what the prophets knew that they had an audience with God. It's like he knows, like, I'm going to have an audience with God. I want to know where to find him. I want to know because I've got these arguments. I've got these questions. I've got a lot of things on my mind. That sounds like rain. Obviously, whoever is listening on this podcast, rain? No, it sounds like the word of the Lord. Yes, it's the word of the Lord. So anyway, so... Job's saying, I've got these questions that I want to... That'd be terrible if the kids were outside right now. Praise <laughs> <laughs> the Lord, it's raining. But it's like Job's got these questions. 
because he wants some clarity and he's trusting. That's what I love about the book of Job is like he trusts in God's plan. Even his wife comes up to him very early on in all these questions. Like some of the first questions are in Job chapter one. Like he goes all the way through. Some of them are from Job, some of them from, from his friends, some from his wife, some from God himself. But it's even from the very beginning, like Job's wife comes up and you should just curse God, just curse him. And he's like, no, I trust his plan, but I've got questions. With all of the questions that we find in the book of Job, it tells me, it reminds me, and I've said this before, almost ad nauseum this summer, something that I found with the prophets, the minor prophets, God is not scared of our questions. He's not scared of our questions. When we trust him, <laughs> he's not scared if we don't trust him. God's the God of the universe and he flung the stars into the sky. And he's like, ah, that one's gonna be star number five. And humans are gonna name him something else, but that's star number five. Like he, God doesn't care. Like he created everything. He created a person out of dirt. But how beautiful is that dirt that he made us? He made us just a little lower than the angels out of dirt, the scripture tells us. God's not scared of any of our questions, any of our doubts, any of our fears, any of our failures. He's not scared. So Habakkuk, all of that to lead up to Habakkuk chapter one, he starts out with a question. I want to tell you, like, there's at least six. So there's, there's six questions in the, in the, from Habakkuk in the, in the book of Habakkuk chapter one and, 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 um, Verses one through four, God answers him, and then, and then he goes like uh, the last half of chapter one, verses 12 through, through 17. There's like six questions. But what I love is that God listens to those who love him, and God always has an answer. And so like if we're sitting in here today, if we're listening on, online, God always listens to those who love him. And the longer I've been in church, especially like organized, like, you know, brick and mortar churches that have been around for hundreds of years and stuff. The longer I've been in those places, I've seen so many people and I've been there myself and maybe you're there right now, like where you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling. Is God even answering? Because it seems like how long the Lord, but Job was in that spot, I want to tell you. Habakkuk was in that spot and we'll go into that in just a moment. But God listens to those who love him. And he always has an answer. But that's, that's not the point of Habakkuk, by the way. In the midst of the, all these questions that Habakkuk's got, in the midst of, of the answers, which God gives him pretty, pretty immediately, verse, verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5, in the midst of all of this stuff, in the midst of the judgment, again, most prophets, most minor prophets, there's a judgment and redemption. In the midst of all of this stuff, one big idea worth banking on is this. Trust in God's control. It's a churchy word kind of called sovereignty, but trust in the fact that God is in control of everything. There's nothing that escapes us. Oh man, I didn't realize that was going to happen. Huh. Can I have to erase that and write this down? Like God is not surprised by anything in your life. He's not, certainly not surprised by anything. And I love that about these minor prophets is there's, there's no question that happens that God was like, hmm, didn't see that one coming. What am I going to do? The God's not scared. And that's why we can trust this, this God. Like the Israelites, I love it. So we sang that song about, about how God was good to those, those, those of God's people in Egypt. And I love it because God, God in Scripture, it says that God heard their cries and He answered them. The book of Exodus talks about how their cries came up to me and He heard their cries. God is the God who hears our cries. And I love that He hears their cries and then He answers them. We need to trust in God's control. 
Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2, it says it this way. Habakkuk says, Lord, I have heard the report about you. I've heard about all these things about you. I know your past. I know what you've done before. I know that how you've led our people out of Egypt. I know how you've provided for our people even before Egypt, like when there was a famine in the land. Like I've heard of all these different ways that you've, I've heard of the report. I know who you are. Lord, I stand, because of all this stuff that I've heard about you, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercies. Like, God, I stand in awe of your deeds. Your work, O Lord, like another way of saying it is like, your work, O Lord, do I fear. I think Yoda probably, if you have the ESV, I think Yoda probably wrote, wrote that. The phrasing was strange, but. And your work, O Lord, do I fear. I mean, sure, this guy's a prophet. He's speaking the words of the Lord, or he's, he's got a direct line. But I want you to understand that this is a man, Habakkuk is a man who fears, or, or another way of putting it is, this is a man who, verse 2 in chapter 3, this is a man who trusts. He, this, this is a guy who knows that God's plan is best. He knows God's plan is best. And he has faith in God that, he's going to work, that God's going to work it out. So as we begin... And as we kind of continue through life, our forward movement desperately depends on our trust in God. Because we, as, as you want to move forward in life, it desperately depends on trust in God. Or another way, a shorter way of putting it, you know, a little pithy way of putting it is this. You don't move forward without God. And that sounds judgmental, but maybe that sounds freeing for us. We don't move forward without God. We don't. You've heard my story, like I work hospice. Like I, I've seen people who move forward with God and I've seen people who get stuck. We have friends now in our 20s and in our 30s and in our 40s and our 50s. Like we have friends now who, who it looks like they're succeeding on the outside who don't have God in their lives and they've been trying to move forward. But I tell you, the brakes are going to hit. Well, that's fatalistic. Uh, maybe I'm a little warped, but I've, I've seen a lot of things. You don't move forward without God. You won't. Because God made us. So, uh, if you've been studying our format of how we work through the Minor Prophets, we're going to have some, some bad news, good news. Where's Jesus? Where are we? We're going to start off with the bad news. Barker and Bailey write this of Habakkuk. They said, quote, Can any book be more up-to-date than one which questions the prosperity of the wicked in the demise of the righteous. Because that's what's going on here in Habakkuk. He's, the prophet is writing, he's like, okay, the wicked people, they're getting richer. They're getting richer, they're getting more stuff, they're getting more government handouts, they're getting more and more and more, they're getting blessed, they're getting blessed. And the righteous people, the people try to live the right kind of way and they try to live after God, they're getting like pushed down. God, it's not fair. Why is this happening? And whether it was 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, or even today, can any more, can any book he's saying, th th these writers are saying, be any more up to date about how the wicked are prospering and the righteous are being pushed down? So, it seems like undeserving people get what we deserve. Well, they didn't deserve it, God. Why do they get? So, chapter 1, verse 4. For the wicked restrict the righteous, 
And therefore, justice comes out perverted. Or the wicked surround us. God, the wicked are surrounding the righteous. Like the defensive positions that we've got, man, the wicked people are getting, like the folks that don't follow after God, that don't trust God and God's plan and trust in Jesus Christ. Like it seems like, God, they're getting all of our good positions. They're getting all of our defensive positions. They're getting all the things that we should be having in life. They're surrounding us. Chapter 1, verse 13 continues. He says, Your eyes, God, are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So, why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? Like the, the wicked people are swallowing up the righteous. Or the folks that don't follow God seem to be getting all the things that those who walk rightly should have. A few verses later, that is why, verse 16, that is why they sacrifice, that is why the wicked people sacrifice to their dragnet and burn incense to their fishing net. Like they're, they're worshiping the materials that got them to where they are. For by these things their portion is rich and their food is plentiful. Like they're living in luxury, God. They're living in luxury and they're worshiping their rod and their reel. Or another way of putting it is like the, undeserved, like the undeserving people are eating all the stuff that we ought to have. They, they're eating everything that we need. To, like everything about us, they're getting, God. It's not fair. I mean, I don't even need to give you examples of this. Someone takes your raise, they take your position, they take your friends, hide your wife, hide your kids. Like they're, the, the wicked people are taking everything that we deserve or that we think we deserve. Your piece of the pie, whatever you want to call it. Now for the, book, for, for the tribe of Judah that this is written to, these are dire circumstances. This is a dire situation. These Babylonians or Chaldeans, depending on, on what translation you're looking at, they are, they are literally taking everything that the Israelites felt like they deserved, that they worked hard for. And that's like the first question that Habakkuk asks in chapter 1, verse 2. He says, how long, Lord, must I call for help? And you don't listen or cry out to you about violence and you don't save. How long is this going to happen? How long shall I cry for help? Like how many times do we ask God? How long, God? How long until you answer this prayer, this need of my wife and I, or my friend and I, or, or my work position? Like, how long until this happens? One theologian kind of records, like, so what's the time frame of Habakkuk? When's it written? It's written to the, the people of Judah. Babylon is attacking Judah in 605 BC. Most historians would agree about 605 BC. They're attacking so... So Israel's already fallen. Judah's the last kind of little holdout. Judah is getting attacked now, right now, by Babylon, 605 B.C. It says that Habakkuk is writing around the same time that this is going on, 605 B.C. And it carries on, so I can't math today, but it carries on from 605 B.C. to 586. So what is that, almost 20 years, 19 years? And so Habakkuk's writing, is like, how long... I'm just writing in 605 BC, this book right here, 605. How long is this going to happen? And God's like, I've got an answer for you. It's, it's going to be a little while. And some of us, like we get upset if it's been a week. 
God, I haven't heard it in a week. I haven't heard the news in a week, two weeks, three weeks. I haven't heard the news. I haven't heard the results yet. I don't know. I don't know. I'm getting worried. I'm getting anxious. I don't know it. I don't know. How long is my heart going to hurt? How long are these questions going to pop up? God's like, it, it's, it might be a little while. But I've got a plan and I'm in control. Sometimes we ask God how long, where the better question is, would you show me more of who you are? And I like that about Habakkuk. Because he's saying how long, but his real thing is he's starting to point to, and we'll see it in the rest of the verses, he's starting to point to more about who God is. And that's why we sang songs today about who God is. And that's why we read in Habakkuk 3 that lengthy portion about who God is. Because when we're going through these trials and we're going through these issues and we go, we're going through these, these Egypts in life, we want to know, how long, Lord, please? But really the question we should be asking is, would you show me more of you? It's the difference between uh, the victim mindset saying, oh, uh, why me? And the challenger mindset that says, you know, this could help me get better. It's changing. So in your mind, you, if, if there's a drama or a problem in your life, a lot of us play the victim role. Why me? Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. But instead, we should take that same problem and see it as a challenge to where we can think, you know, this could make me better. This could make me more like Christ. This could make me more like the God and this could make me trust God more. Christianity is about being like Christ. It's the process of becoming like Jesus. I mean, that's what Christ, Christians are little Christs, right? Following after Jesus, becoming more like him. And it's a lot easier to become more like Jesus when we're asking the question, show me more of who you are instead of how long, God? So that was the bad news. Good news. God wants us to be righteous. I mentioned that word a couple other times. It's a churchy word. Righteous means living the right kind of way. God wants us to live the right kind of way. Well, what's that mean? Chapter 2, verse 4. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. Well, that's not a good one. But look at the rest of it. But the righteous one will live by his faith. That's used three different times in the New Testament. Surprisingly, Paul uses it in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. He uses it in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. Both times it says the righteous will live by faith, but there's a couple of other things that Paul would write out to, to the churches that he's writing to to kind of buttress what he's talking about in those moments. But Hebrews chapter 10, I want to read you that one. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30, 39. Verse 38, for yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay, but, verse 38, but my righteous one will live by faith, and if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. Walking, walking rightly pleases God. Like if you take Hebrews chapter, chapter 10, verse 38, you, you you look at those words a little differently. He says, if he draws back, I will not be pleased. Now, we don't please God by our works. Man, the Lord loves us no matter what. 
But walking rightly pleases God. That's why the New Testament writers talk about walking rightly over and over and over and over and over again. That we would walk rightly. The righteous walk by faith. That we would trust in God. Like the, the, the way we live looks a little differently than your neighbor who doesn't walk like the Lord. Who doesn't trust in God's sovereign plan. Like we should look and act a little differently than the rest. We should be giving extravagantly of our time, or our money, our resources, our, our emotions, our feelings. Instead of like having walls built up around our banks or walls built up around our hearts, like we should look differently than the other folks. Generous people with open hands saying, God, I want to give back to whatever you are asking me to give back to. Side note, but a very, 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 very important one. Thinking back to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, The righteous one will live by his faith. I want to tell you, the book of Habakkuk is not about and also, consequently, life is not about us. The point is never, like we are never the good news, ever. God is always the source of the good news. That's just one little verse in there in, in Habakkuk chapter 2. Just one little verse because everything is pointing back to God. God is the point. God is the source of our good news. God is the source of our salvation, our redemption, everything. Chapter 1, verse 5, it's kind of neat in a weird way. God answers, he says, look at the nations and observe, be utterly astounded, for I, look at this, for I am doing something in your days that will, you, you will not believe when you hear about it. It reminds me of Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19, where it says, look, I'm about to do something brand new. Like God is always in the business of doing new things. Now, specifically in the context here in Habakkuk, God's like, hey, I'm about to bring the Babylonians on you. But the reason why I'm bringing the Babylonians on you is for a purpose, for my sovereign plan, and it's going to hurt for a little while, 19 years probably, give or take, who's counting, but it's going to hurt for a little bit, but I want to let you know that I'm building you more into more like me. And I want you to trust me more, no matter what. Chapter 2, Habakkuk gives us some woes. It says, in, in my scripture, it says the five woe oracles. He says some woes. So usually, in the Minor Prophets, there's a judgment and there's a redemption and God's saying, hey, Babylon's going to, I'm going to use them to bring judgment on you, but I want to be explicitly clear. I'm going to, like, they're not the end all be all. I'm going to put some woes on them. Like there's some not great things that they need to know themselves because they're not the point. Chapter 2, verse 14 says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory. As the water covers us, that's the point. God will fill the earth up with knowledge of him. He's like, I want everyone to know about me. Everyone. The point's not Babylon. The point's not your suffering. The point is about me. God would say, God wants us to be righteous, and he makes a way for that to occur. So, question is, that's the bad news and then the good news. Question is, well, where is Jesus in this? Because we know that all scripture points to Jesus. Jesus is our salvation. And we may not grasp how good that is. Chapter 3, and we read that earlier, chapter 3, verses 17 to 19, we did not read. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen, and there are no herds in the stalls. Man, that sounds, that sounds great, doesn't it? <laughs> There's nothing good here. All right, fantastic. My life sucks. Look at verse, the very next verse, verse 18. Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, 
My Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. Though nothing good is happening, yet I will rejoice. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I love it because Habakkuk knows who wins. He's given like this prophecy, this judgment, but he knows who wins. And he's pointing everyone, hey, listen, I don't know if it's going to be, I'm writing this in 605, maybe we're done, maybe the pandemic's over in a year, no clue. Maybe it's going to take 19 years, no clue. Babylon might be with us for a long time, I don't know. Maybe they're going to be gone pretty soon. But I know who wins. No matter what, I know who wins. Revelation chapter 11. Trey and I were talking about this the other day, we just don't talk about Revelation enough. Verse 15, 11, 15. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, the final angel. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. I don't know how I've ever missed that before. That, that just dropped in there just a little bit. But the angel says, hey, I'm the final angel. I just want to let you know I'm going to play the trumpet. This is the last, this is the final call. And I want to let you know that God wins. What we're experiencing here on earth is now going to be God's. God's going to be all over everything. It's not just like, hey, I could be over. I am over everything. God wins. David Platt says it this way. This is where all history is headed. If you write down one thing this morning, it's this. Our joy in God's salvation says a lot about our trust in his control. Our joy in God's salvation says a lot about our trust in his control. God saves. He saves 100%. And it's all through what God has given to us in Christ. God is in the saving business. And he's writing our story. He is sovereign. He is in control. He is writing our story. He is the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. We should take joy and trust in his writing. I don't know what my story looks like, God. Habakkuk's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how long this, 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 this book is going to be valid for, but I'm going to trust you because I know that you win. So where's Jesus? Jesus is our salvation. And when we put our joy in Jesus, our salvation, it says a lot about our trust in God. So the question is, where are we? I want to remind you that what we normally talk about in the mind of prophets, and it's very key, we are not Judah. We are not, that this book was not written explicitly for us. There was a time, there was a thing that was going on back then, so we are not, like, we are not to say that we are these people. However, Scripture in here still applies to us. Because the Bible tells us that every Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for correcting, rebuking, and teaching, and training in all righteousness. So we know that everything in here can, can help us become more like Christ. We are to live righteously. We look at the small little three-chapter book of Habakkuk, and we know that we are to live righteously. We are to take joy in God's salvation, and we are to trust His plan even when it hurts, y'all. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, famous theologian and pastor years ago, he, he reminds us that, like, I just want to imagine, going back to the mentality that we had at the beginning of our, our message today that imagine that life is a courtroom. Spurgeon knows that we have questions. He says, quote, it is well to approach the seat of the King of Kings as much as possible 
with premeditation and preparation, knowing what we are about, where we are standing, and what it is which we desire to obtain. My question as we close is this, do we know who we are? Like for some of us, maybe even those listening, like do we trust Jesus? Like, do we trust, and maybe, maybe it's like, hey, I trust Jesus. I've trusted him. I give, my, I give my life to him. I know that he lived the perfect life, and he gave his life on the cross for us as a sacrifice, and he, he took all of God's wrath due for you and me, and he put that on the cross, and I get it, and I trust him in that. But do we trust in his plan? Do we trust that God has a plan for us? And some of us are like, I, okay, I trust Jesus, James. I trust in God's plan for us, but like, are you taking joy? Are you taking joy in his plan? Here's your application as we kind of close this week. This week, I want you to look at the problems that you face. Is not just as problems, because that's the victim role, right? We don't want to be victims. Why me? Why me? Pitiful me. But instead, look at them as challenges to make us more like Christ. And to come up with the question, instead of saying how long, instead of saying how long, we can say, Will you show me more of you? And for some of us, maybe not in this room, but maybe those that are listening, for some of us it means like we need to say, God, would you show me who you are because I want to trust in you and I want to trust you, Jesus. Maybe for some of us it just means, would you help me to put my joy in you? And then for others of us, it means seeing these challenges that we have as opportunities to know more of who God is and trust Him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today, and we thank you for your word, that your word is truth. And it's my prayer that we, God, for anyone listening that gets a hold of this and sees your truth in Habakkuk, that they turn to you, God, as writing their story, and they trust in your son, Jesus Christ. And God, for those of us that have trusted Jesus, that we trust in your plan, God, that you are writing our story, and that we trust in your sovereign control over everything, and that we say yes to you, and instead of being victims, that we put our joy in the process. And we're saying, God, we, 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 wanna, we just want to see more of you. Jesus, help us to see more of you. And help us be receptive of that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.